because uh, there's a lot of history that's been um, covered up and uh, um, most people just accept the history that's been um, taught to them. forefather Eber so Eber is where you get the word Hebrew from Okay, mm. um, the line of Judah, right? There's two lines: the Pharaohs and uh, the uh, Zara line, right? And on the Zara line, there was um, a, a somebody called somebody called Dada. He was a grandson of Judah. Okay, um, this Dada and and the line of Zara left. Um, the rest of the Israelites and went basically went exploring so they spread out around the world and so Dada son of uh, Zara right, ended up in Troy and he became the grandfather of Tross King Tross Then you got Anglo-Saxons coming over. I think it was about the year 400-ish, 
around that time. Uh, and I've got, I've actually got a map, an old map that has um, a picture of Jutland, which is uh, uh, Denmark, part of Denmark, I think, uh, Germany and Denmark. Um, and that was called uh, Angleland, right? home of the English. Fire Tribe, what's going on? Welcome to a brand new, fresh, beautiful, amazing, wonderful, spectacular episode of Rising from the Ashes. Just another one for the books, another one for the etherical library, the Akashic, the goodness, yes, I see. Yeah, so here we are. Welcome. Um, unfortunately, I'm, I was unable to make it to uh, today's episode, but Dan does such a fantastic job speaking with allegedly Dave, who has a lot of information about an ancient Ireland, an alternative ancient Ireland, that is. So buckle in, strap up, get ready. It's going down. You guys are more than sure to love it. But before we do that, friends, and before we get into an RFTA news segment with our good bud, Adam Stokes, here with us again to enlighten us on some updates and goodness, you know how we do it. Going deep, going hard, and loving life. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we hope that you are loving life as well. This last full moon was a pretty good one over here in my area. I hope that you guys had a pleasurable moon experience. A little house cleaning before we get into the RFTA news segment. And then the amazing interview with Allegedly Dave. Join us on the Telegram group chat, my friends. Telegram is an amazing platform, social media platform, that we get to communicate and create a community of truth-seeking, wonderful humans so we can come together and have people during the times of dismay in society when you don't know what's going on. We are there for you at the Telegram group chat. I will be there. Uh, Indy will be there. Dan will be there. Everyone will be there with open, beautiful, wonderful arms. So, here we are yet again. If you would like to support the show, my friends, the best two ways to do it are to join the Patreon. That is the best way, in my opinion, because you get awesome, amazing content. And you get to dive a bit deeper into the esoteric fringes of understanding. And the more that we open our minds and learn, the more wonderful everything is with that. And through that, you get to get more content for yourselves. You get to help us pay the little podcast bills that it takes to, to run the show. You know, over here in the, the studio, we got leaks in the ceiling, leaks in the plumbing, leaks in the walls, leaks in the halls, baby. We're flooding. Just kidding. We're not actually flooding. Sorry if you were actually experiencing that or if you have any flood trauma. That was not the intended purpose with that. But yes, if you would like to uh, support the show, Dan and I would be much appreciated. 
and it's so easy at just three bucks a month, you know, it's just a little cup of coffee, something along those lines. So yes, please do that. If you want to get something more physical, if you want to get some sort of uh, some sort of fabric cloth to wear over your body with a sweet logo or a sweet phrase like Sup Brahe in the face of Tycho Brahe, my favorite antiquated astronomer, then you could do that over at the RFTA merch shop. When you buy a t-shirt, you support the show, and you get something. You know, we're buying stuff all the time, every day. All these things are happening. So, you know, if you're feeling like it today, if today's your day of doing that, that's a great way to do it. Anyways, I'm digressing from that, my friends. The links will be in the show notes. If you want to click them and give a little love this way, we are here to receive it. And there is so much love that I'm sending to you right now. Because love is what makes the world go round. It is the beating of the eternal drum of the earth. Yes. Resonate the goodness resonate the goodness my friends please email us with any questions or concerns that you have if you even just want to chat and you don't want to do it on telegram or you don't want to private message me on telegram or dan on telegram you can email us it's a great way to chat um we've had some really great emails (laughs) thank you so much for uh listening and uh giving your feedback on the shows and uh your theories on um different predictions uh due to uh sweet gematria and other things you know who you are all right lovely amazing humans contact us be a part of the community that's really it enjoy the music enjoy the conversation and keep this day fueled with goodness love and compassion for your brothers and humans and sisters and mothers and whoever it is around you that needs a little extra love give them an extra squeeze for me and without further ado we're getting into some rfta news no idea what the strata terrain is what's up fire time welcome to Rising, Rising. Ashes. Roman is on location in Hawaii, where he had just ventured out to for a time. So he's out. He doesn't have a studio set up. He's out in the wilderness. Um, so his audio is going to be a little choppy. So he's going to be punching in and punching out. But we're here today with the wonderful and great Adam Stokes, the giant guy, Hello. everybody's favorite giant guy. <laughs> How's it going, Adam? I'm doing good, doing good. So, been a long week. It seems like this week has gone on forever. So, <laughs> um, finally, Friday tomorrow after like three months of this week. So, I'm, I'm very glad for the for for the week to be over. But other than that, doing okay. Oh, it's been a short week for me, and I've been enjoying it. Except, I woke up in pain on Monday because my knee hurt, and then. Uh, it's been hurting Tuesday, Wednesday, and today it finally felt better. So I started to be able to walk a little bit better today and climb into the truck and whatnot. <laughs> but it's been pretty pretty bad before yeah. that. But it's been clearing up, so I'm doing good. But enough about Glad you're feeling better. <laughs> let's uh <laughs> let's get into this. What do you got for us today, Adam? So um I know you guys um 
have probably heard of the Stroud of Turin. Um, it's a Stroud that claims uh, to have been put over the body of Jesus right. um, and to basically have his like essence and stuff like that. Um, and it's located in uh, Turin, Italy, and people go there, thousands, millions of pilgrims go there each year and uh, venerate the Stroud. What you may not know is that there is another freaking Stroud um, attributed to uh, to Jesus um, in England. Um, and so uh, there's a British Orthodox Church, and they claim to have possession of this relic that was brought by Joseph of Arimathea um, to Glastonbury, England, and it can, it's, a, it's a whole other Stroud um, that uh, claims to contain the essence of Christ in it, and there's a whole lot of uh, stories and stuff about it having healing properties and stuff like that. But the Stroud's still there. Um, yeah, so it's well, sometimes a British Orthodox Church, um, and they they claim to have possession of it. What's what's the English one called? I don't know. They just say it's just they. Um, when I looked on uh, different pages about it, it, just said the Stroud of Christ. Hmm. What is the Stroud? Stroud, uh, the Stroud of Christ, but they're all about they're all about Christ. And what is the physical like? Uh, qualities of it like what does it actually look like and what kind of fabric is it made of um it just looks like a little like a wool uh type of blanket basically when i saw it not in person but online but just a straight up wool blanket um it kind of has some jewish features because on the side of it it has i don't know if you guys have ever seen the jewish prayer shawl um it kind of it looks a little bit like that fringes yes exactly it's got the fringes yeah, I hear the Hebrew Israelites talking about the fringes all the time. Yeah, they they always are talking about the fringes, <laughs> where the, where those fringes and everything. So, yeah. um, um, so that, actually... that kind of attests to like the Jewishness of it. So it's it, it's very interesting. It kind of goes back to these traditions uh, that uh, the ancient Israelites scattered all throughout Europe, um, even uh, to to England. Interestingly, I was just talking about the shroud today. Uh, with some people uh, on my work route. And I read this book uh, a while back called The Hiram Key or Hiram Key. And I've heard of that book, yeah. In that book, mm. they suggest that it wasn't actually Jesus that was wrapped in the shroud, but Jack Ace de Molay, which is, uh, he was the head of the Templars. And now here we go. They suggest yeah. or they uh kind of hypothesize that he was crucified like Jesus, uh, put on the stake and crucified, and then after that he was burned to death, and then after that he was wrapped in the shroud, and that's how the imprint um gets yeah. put into the too. shroud. Oh, you have. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't know about the Stroud of Turin, you know. Um I, I love I love uh, ancient relics, you know. We've talked on the show about some uh artifacts I believe to be genuine and some others to be fake. Mm -hmm. Uh there's a TV show, one of my favorite shows, uh The Borgias, um, yeah. and it has uh Kaf Kathleen uh de Schwartza or de Ferosa or something. Anyway, anyway, she's the enemy of the Borgias, and it has her creating the Stroud of Turin to kind of create this fake miracle. And she has like this fake blood, like spraying mm -hmm. on the on the shroud, and people can't see it, and they think it's a big, they think it's like a miracle. 
So that show posited that the Strata Turin actually came from uh, Catherine de Schwartz. I don't know if I'm pronouncing her name right. Um, but um, so I don't know about the Strata Turin. I, I really don't. I've heard a lot of good arguments in favor of its authenticity, but I've also heard, uh, like you, you pointed out, that it could just be a Templar knight, and that's the reason uh, why why this imprint is in it. So I'm not sure about this. Um, the uh, the Stroud of Christ in Glaston, uh, Glastonbury, um, not a lot of people seem to know it, and there hasn't been a lot of research done on it. So I'd be curious how that stands in relation to the Stroud of Turin. Yeah, um, I'm gonna. I'm looking it up right here. Uh, the shroud of, we're just gonna call it the shroud of Christ or the shroud of Glastonbury. It says, uh, it's a freak. It's a PDF. Dang it! I hate the PDF ones. Um, it's an academia. I'm curious if there's any like uh lore about hair being used in the shroud like woven within like certain textiles there's like sacred hair you know with like different um spiritual oh, i'm not sure i'm not sure yeah there was I, I wasn't able to find too much information about this um but i know yeah uh, in a lot of medieval relics uh the hair of somebody has healing properties so that uh that skeleton i told you guys about last week with lazarus Mm -hmm. um some of that like his skull still has like some hair and stuff on it um and that was supposed to have like healing properties if like you you know you put it so you put it in um a container or something it was supposed to have healing properties now that yeah that that i that i can't dig and uh i def i definitely kind of feel that when i when i'm around like special hair woolen yeah, sure. textiles you know like there's a there's a, like a different energy that you get with it it's really comfortable and it's like has this like enclosing type of energy on it as yeah, opposed yeah. to uh cotton textiles it's just it's just different but i've never had anything woven with a uh with human hair before so that would be quite quite an experience but i'm sure it's, yeah, it's, it's special kind of big, I mean, between yeah a lot of these medieval relics you know that the hair of the saint or whatever is really really special um, in fact, uh, to give a personal anecdote, there's a convent near me, uh, St. Catherine Drexel. It's a, um, there's a shrine dedicated to her. It's the convent that she founded. And they'll give you, if you go there um, at the visitor center, they'll give you a piece of cloth that was basically, basically had her essence in it. Um, I actually used to carry, let me see, might be my Book of Mormon, actually, which is, which would be kind of weird. But, um. Yeah, there used to be um, a cloth that I had, a piece of cloth that um, they said to carry around with you, you know, for, for kind of like good fortune and for blessings and stuff like that. Um, is, is that one in Glastonbury called the, the Veil of Veronica? Is that what you found? I I just got it said the Stroud of Christ. Okay. Um, Who is Veronica? Glastonbury has a couple of relics though that are all related to kind of Joseph of Arimathea and the people who were with 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 Jesus when he died, including Veronica. Hmm. I've never heard of this Veronica character. That's, Me neither. That is super interesting. 
<laughs> she's in so controversial movie, Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ. Uh, Veronica's one of the ladies at the Stations of the Cross in Roman Catholicism. And she wipes uh, the, the blood uh, from Jesus. And she uh, apparently the blood has healing powers, going back to what Roman was saying. And there's a lot of cool things that happen. Uh, with the shroud of sheet that she that she wipes, um, and in the movie The Passion of the Christ with Mel Gibson, uh, she's in that movie as well, but she's uh, not actually mentioned in the Bible. Yeah, century. I, I I looked up the uh, the Glastonbury shroud. Um, I couldn't find much. What I did find was this veil of Veronica thing. Can you uh, maybe describe a little bit what it looks like to see if maybe I'm looking at the same thing? Is it does that fringes? And there's a little kind uh, of Jewish Hebrew at the no, end. No. Not really Hebrew, but like the stripes at the end. No. no this one looks yeah, more like a superimposed picture onto a piece of cloth. And his eyes are open. Yeah. It says it's no, the Sudarium su- Christi. There wasn't like an imprint. There wasn't an imprint on the on the Stroud of Christ. It's just like it just looks like a uh, typical Jewish prayer shawl. Oh, okay. All right. Interesting. Hmm. I would like to get more into this with you, Adam, if uh, we could uh, maybe another time kind of look up some of these details of the Shroud of Turin and kind of uh, compare. There's a lot with the Shroud of Turin, like a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Shroud of Turin is very interesting. there, there's really good pictures of it on the internet too, if people want to go look. And I think there's some pretty good documentaries on History Channel about the shroud, also. Um, yeah, they've done, they've done a bunch of, the, of stuff on that. Yep. yep. Yeah, because they when they dated the shroud of Turin, it dated back to the Middle Ages. So yeah. that was interesting. But then there's things like, oh, well, it was in a fire and they dated it wrong and they dated this cloth that was part of that was already burned. So it got a different date. And there's all kinds of controversy yeah. about it, but there's also pictures of an antiquity of people holding this like big shroud, like it traveled around yeah. the world or something, you know. So yeah. there's, a, yeah. there's a lot more to to the shroud than meets the eye, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some people say like Leonardo da Vinci using some early photographic technology created it. Yeah, that's huh. interesting too. Okay. That's yeah, I've never heard that before. Because do you know any? You have any di- deeper digs on that? I'm trying to think of the book. I, I, there's a whole book about that. And I read it. I read it in there. Like Leonardo da Vinci was trying to save Christianity, so he created the like, and, and it was the time of the Borgias, and like everybody was pissed off with the Catholic Church, so he he created this to kind of you know save save uh, Christianity. Hmm. Well, I like I like these the, the concept of the shroud in general is like this. You know, it's a piece of the quilt of the world or the, the, um, the, the fabric of, of the universe, what have you. And is there any, um, ancient Egyptian lore around any shrouds, any sacred shrouds for the Royals in the ancient Egyptian times that you guys know of that just came to my mind? I don't know anything of like Egyptian stuff, but definitely the fact, like understanding the world as being something that's woven, um, like a shawl, you get that in, in Greek, uh, mythology a lot with the uh, concept of the, the fates and the three mm-hmm. women who weave uh, basically the lives yes. of everybody. Yes. Um, just kind of really freaking cool. That was one of my favorite things in, uh, when I used to read Greek mythology as a kid. Yeah. 
that also stems. I was just listening to this wonderful book, Morai. one of my favorite books right now. It's called uh, Yeah Morai and Morgan's One of the Three Fates. Um, ancient Celts heavily believed in that. This book is called um, The Mysteries of the Dark Moon, and oh. it is it's so fascinating. It's kind of like right uh writes a lot about like the the ancient matriarch and things and uh I, yeah just literally like two days ago was listening uh about the three fates and like i'd heard about it and i'd known about it but um it's it is very very interesting to think about that trilogy segment you know a matriarchal trilogy that existed um before the gods yeah yeah well you know it's it's interesting i was watching a show um on Prime Video about the myth of Odysseus. And basically, Odysseus, at the end of it, he has this whole falling out with the Greek gods. And he says, you know, you guys are so cruel. You guys are so cruel. Nobody's going to worship you. and You're just going to disappear. But the gods that will remain are the three fates. So the fates existed before the gods, like you said, Roman. Mm -hmm. And they also exist after the gods. Oh, what show is this? It's called Great Greek Myths, uh, The Odyssey. It's on Prime Video. If you have a Prime subscription, you can you can watch it for free. Um, what what are your thoughts on this? Because uh, it, they say that when Jesus was crucified, uh, the three Marys visited visited him: Mary the mother, Mary the uh, Magdalene, yep. and uh, Mary the aunt of uh jesus i guess and um to me i think that might be a representation of the three fates coming to uh witness that yeah i definitely think something's going on there with the three with the three women and i mean the gospel writers lived in the greek uh you know they lived in the greco-roman world so they would have known about the three fates and i think that there's definitely a connection there and kind of mary as you know the intercessor at least in catholic tradition what developed in catholic tradition as the one who really has all our lives on the thread, you know, interceding for us mm-hmm. to her son Jesus, um, oh. is something that that I think is there's a direct connection. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I like the way you wove that. Nice, Adam. <laughs> That's good. That's a good connection there. <laughs> I like that, man. Oh, excellent. Any Roman, anything else from you, buddy? Um you know, uh, I guess we can. I always like to ask you about, you know, if the if your students are breaking any veils or, or, or what's going on and uh, what kind of lessons you guys are going over in your Latin goodness. I was still reading Catullus as as raunchy as he is. Um, they have a they have a test a quiz coming up uh, with uh, the poet Catullus. Um, I actually made them do an interesting exercise, Roman. So they had to pick out two or three words that they found really interesting about Catullus. And um, it kind of went really down the rabbit hole uh, because they started like it was really kind of like exit. So they would pick out, uh, for example, "vivere um, sola," which in Latin means to live alone. Um, and there's a whole context within Catullus about it. He's basically uh, bashing this woman for being adulterous. But when you take those words by themselves, there's kind of an existential meaning to it. What does it mean to live alone? And so we went. Yeah, we had a whole discussion about that. 
So um, it was really, really cool conversation. That's awesome. That is a great thing to have t- a discussion with your students. Absolutely. Oh. That's yeah. like the hero's journey. You know, it's an inevitability that yeah. there's going to be a time in your life when you separate from your parents, you yeah. break up with a partner, you know, you go through a tragic loss, and then you have this developmental stage, this shift in your life when you absolutely have to be okay with being alone. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. I want to share this. Sorry. I just put together the deeper meaning of the Disney story, Aladdin, um, as a Kundalini awakening. Um, when the beginning of the movie, they're bringing the two scarab pieces together to create the one head, the body of the lion in the desert. And that's like the two, the two halves being married, finally coming together. And when they go into the the mouth or to get the treasure, there's all this treasure, which is all the treasures in life. But there's the one thing that you need to grab. And it's like the genie and the lamp being the like the pineal gland and like, you know, kind of like being the inner uh, the spirit, like intuition type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of just had that revelation the other day. What do you guys think about that? Or what's your interpretation on that? Aladdin I never thought story? of it like that. I love Aladdin, but I, I can I can definitely see that. It's been years since I watched watched the animated movie. I gotta watch it again. Yeah, it holds up. It holds up definitely. <laughs> really, really good. <laughs> All right, excellent. Uh, what, what? How do you spell the name of that person that you said? Is it Catellus or Patellus? Uh, Catellus. C A T U L L U S. Catellus. Okay. Cool. Interesting. Oh, he has cat in his name too. Oh, yeah, is, yeah. He, is he an abomination? Oh. Is he an apocalypse? He he is all over the place, man. He's is like he a, he's catastrophe. Raunchy, he's mystical. <laughs> um, he talks about pets and the pets are euphemisms for other things, mm. uh, sexual things. Um, so he he's all over the place. Um, but his poems can be found online. They're really easy to access, and they're fun reads. They're quick fun reads. So awesome! That would be fun for uh, Roman and I to pick out some words from from him and bring him back to you and tell you what we got out of him. Yeah, I, I would love to know what you guys think of him. And his <laughs> poems are really short, so read a couple um, and uh, yeah, yeah, I'd love to hear what you think. Oh, that'd be awesome, man. That'd be fun. Let's do it. Alright, well, well thank you, Adam. Uh, I won't keep you too long today. I know I kept you a long time last time, but uh, thank you. We no appre- We appreciate your time, man, and uh, everything that you do for us around here. We appreciate it. So thank you very Always much. Always a pleasure. And until next time, thank you. Have a good one. Take care, guys. Hello, everybody. Bye. Welcome to Rising from the Ashes. I'm Daniel Naki Dan. The homie Romy is in my A today, but it's okay. We're going to go do it anyway. I'm here today with allegedly Dave, a.k.a. Dave Murphy. Uh he talks a bit about uh, flat earth. He talks about finances, law, uh, all kinds of stuff. All he's into all kinds of uh, rabbit holes, I would say. Uh, and so, I invited him here today because we. Uh, I heard him. Sorry, my computer is loading an episode. Uh, I heard him talking about black history as far as like Ireland and Scotland and and the connection to the Stuart line. So I wanted to get deeper into that because uh, I, there's not too many people out there, Dave, that talk about this, you know? 
No, because uh, there's a lot of history that's been um, covered up and uh, uh, most people just accept the history that's been um, taught to them, um, never even bother questioning it. Yeah, for sure. Um, so tell us a little bit about uh, how you came to find out more about uh, the black roots of, you know, Ireland and Scotland, uh, possibly, I mean, even America, if you want to get into that too, you can, you're more than welcome. Uh, tell us about how that kind of happened. Um, well, <laughs> to, to be honest, when I when I was growing up, I had no knowledge of uh, of anything to do with Black history. Um, you know, my my mum and, and dad moved us to a uh, an all white area where we were the only Black family, in the, you know, for like fifteen miles. Um, so I had no exposure to Black culture or Black history. Um, I didn't even know about slavery until. 1976 mm. when roots came out and i was like oh, what wow. <laughs> what the you know <laughs> and and um so after that i mean I, I got some inkling started to realize some some of the things that were going on around me that i never mm. really understood um but i never really got into black history until uh, essentially um i read the read the old testament um I, I've been an atheist for 40 years, so didn't want anything to do with religions and Bibles and whatever. Um, but in my search for the truth, that book kept presenting itself to me, mm -hmm. uh, presented itself to me three times. And the third time I thought, well, it's, I, I better take a look at it. So something like six years ago, I decided to, uh, to read it. Um, after somebody told me, and this was the third time it presented itself to me, the th um, somebody told me that King James was black. Mm. And I was thinking, well, no, <laughs> I've, I've, I've been to the National Portrait Gallery. I've mm -hmm. seen, the, I've seen the, his portrait. It's a white dude, you know. Um, so I decided to look into it, do a bit of research. And uh, sure enough, I found a couple of engravings of him Mm. Um, and you know you can't you can't whitewash an engraving. So <laughs> you look at the engraving; it's clearly a black guy. And then you find out his his roots, his heritage, and uh, and also you look at his sons and grandson. Um, his grandson was Charles II, and Charles II was known as the Black Boy because he was so dark. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, and there's pubs all around the country um, called the Black Boy Inn. Um, mm. which the, the, they've been trying to actually get rid of, whitewash, you know, change. They, they changed the, uh, the reason why it was called the Black Boy into uh, by putting a picture of a chimney sweep. <laughs> I said, oh, yes, Black Boy, because <laughs> the kid went up a chimney and got done. No. Um, and, and also they're changing the names of roads. There's a road called the um, Black Boy Lane in London mm. named after King Charles. But now they've, you know, the, uh, the cultural change agents have gone in and said, no, we've got to change that name because it's it's racist and offensive, you know. Um, but effectively, it's changed the history. It's taken away the history. Anyway, yeah. sorry, I'm I'm digressing. No, you're good. Um, I also uh, heard about that too, and I looked at uh, coins. Uh, some of the coins are very interesting that show King James on them, and he does look very much black and. Even some other uh, aspects, uh, the hair, nose, and stuff like that. 
Yeah, wasn't his uh, <laughs> son's name uh, the Black Bonnie Prince Charlie, or is that the other one? Uh, oh, I, I, I can I, I keep forgetting how that works. <laughs> that part works. Yeah, me too. Uh, um, one of the Charles II who came back across the sea. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I know the story, but I I, I can't yeah. I can't keep everything in my head sometimes. <laughs> He married. Uh, he married some uh, English or uh, a Dutch Dutch woman or uh, something like that, right? He was kind of like forced into uh, marrying her <clears throat> to keep the keep yeah, the line. So. Right. I again, well, I I researched <laughs> the uh, you know the whole king thing like yeah. five or six years ago, and yeah. now I, I I can't keep all the all the facts in my head now. Sorry. <laughs> oh, it's all good. Uh, it's hard to keep. There's so many different things going on and everything, so it's hard to keep it all straight. I have a hard time myself. Um, I've got like five gigabytes of data and, and notes <laughs> and stuff on my hard drive. So yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, tell us a little bit more about, uh, kind of like the black history then of, of England and Ireland, Scotland, uh, what other kind of aspects is there to kind of, uh, give more proof, uh, that there was black people in the Isles before we believe that there were before, uh, maybe slavery kind of went to those places and it got dispersed. Like there was actually, you know, there's a, a lot of Irish legends about uh, the Fomorians and stuff like that, which uh, you can attribute to uh, African culture. Well, um, first of all, I, I, I can go back a bit to, um, to Europe, the whole of Europe. Yeah. yeah. Right? You can find um, an essay by Benjamin Franklin, Right, from 1755, okay? I think it's um, uh, an essay on the um, increase. Of, I can't, sorry, I can't remember the name of it, but uh, it's a famous essay, 1755. Um, and uh, in it, he says that um, he basically describes the populations of Europe. He says that the Italians were, were black, the French were black, the Germans are black. OK, um, he, he says, you know, the Swedes are black, the Russians are black. Hmm. Uh, he said the only the only white people in the world. Now, this is 1755. The only white people in the world were in Saxony in Germany, hmm. in England and the newcomers in America in 1755. Wow. Right? Um, so, you know, go you can go and find it yourself. Um and I wish the name, <laughs> I could remember the name of it. Um, if it pops back into my head, I'll, I'll let you know. But, um, but uh, and, you know, I'll, I'll let you know afterwards, you know, when I get to my notes. Yeah. But, um, but yes, that tells you um, the, uh, uh, what the, the populations of, of Europe was like. Um, now, um, I've got I've got the 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 story of the the founding of Great Britain, okay, mm-hmm. um, and again it's there it was right there nobody but nobody looks at it. Um, it was a um, a Trojan prince, right, um, uh, called Brutus or or, or Brito. Right? Yeah. It's been anglicised to Brutus, right? So the Trojans, it turns out, were Hebrew Israelites. 
Okay. Mm. Um, and I could find, I found that out because of the, uh, the line of Judah, right? There's two lines of Pharez and uh, the uh, Zara line, right? And on the Zara line, <laughs> excuse me a second. Excuse me, mum. I want a call. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, Mum, yeah, right man. behind me. <laughs> yeah. So on the of the Zara line, there was um, uh, uh, somebody called. Oh, now it's all out of my head now. Um, somebody called Dada. He was a grandson of Judah. Okay. Mm. Um, this Dada and and the line of Zara left. Um, the rest of the Israelites and went basically went exploring. So they spread out around the world. And so Dada, son of uh, Zara, right, ended up in Troy and he became the grandfather of Tros, King Tros, who founded Troy. So the, uh, the Trojans were, were black Israelites, essentially. Um, so after the fall of Troy, um, Brito or Brutus, um, left Troy, um, had apparently had 300 ships, um, sailed to a mythical land in the West. Uh, so he had a, a vision or something of a mythical land in the West. So he sailed across the Mediterranean, um, took a bit of a detour and uh, went up a river and found himself in France and mm. uh, basically fought his way through France um, and then decided, hang on, we're in the middle of France. We're we're surrounded by enemies on all sides, so uh, let's let's go back. But there's still a place that bears his name, Brittany. Mm. <laughs> um, but so he sailed back and then f f um, carried on um, west, where he landed on an island um, in a place called Totnes, which is on the south coast of uh, England. Um, and right today, you can go to a place in that place, Totnes, and in the street, a place called Four Street in Totnes, is a stone, um, and it's called the Brutus Stone. And it's mm. apparently the first stone that Brito set foot on when he landed in Totnes. Right? So he arrived here. He found this country overrun by red-haired giants, white-skinned red-haired giants, Okay, 18 foot tall, apparently. And um, Br Brutus uh, cleared the country of these giants and left one alive called oh, uh, Gog Magog. Yeah. Yeah. Because one of his men wanted to fight him. And, uh, and so there was this epic battle on a place called Plymouth Hoe where this man was fighting this giant. And uh, this man, basically, his name was Corinius, managed to throw the giant over the cliff and he died on the rocks. And that place got called Lamb Go Mago, which means giant's leap. And, uh, and there was a, uh, one of those chalk drawings in the hillside of two giants fighting for, oh. for years and years after. Right? Um, so yes, there were these, these white um, red haired giants who, who um, ran this land. Um, and uh, I think the king of those giants was called Albion. And that's why England was called Albion um, at, the, at the first. Um, but then Brito took over. He founded a place uh, that later became London. Um, it, was, it was actually, his first name was Troyanova, which means New Troy. 
Mm. Okay. And, um, and so, uh, um, so England essentially was a, a, a black country um, from, from Brutus's men. Um, the Irish were already here. Apparently, um, they were met by a, a contingent of Irish. Um, the Irish were black people as well. The Irish um, came from a group of Israelites who named themselves the Iba, right, which came from their forefather, Eba. Um, so Eba is where you get the word Hebrew from. Yeah, so Iberia. they called themselves the Iba or Heba. Exactly. Yes. So um, they would name a place after themselves when they populated the place, they name it after themselves. So then they ended up in Spain and Portugal, which they named the Iberian Peninsula. Yes. Okay. Some of them left Iberia and founded a new country, which was known as Hibernia, which is Ireland. Mm-hmm. So the Iba, the Iba who were, who were, you know, ended up in in Ireland. Um, well, Iba is a is a Paleo Hebrew word. Okay, so the word for man, as in a people, is Aish. So um, an Iba would be called an I, a man of Iba would be called Iberish. Okay, uh. now, now, um, when you get uh, Canaanite populations, right? So Canaanites were the the Serbs and the um, the Russian type people, right? Mm-hmm. They can't pronounce. Um, okay, B's, V's, and W's. Yes. get mixed together because some populations can't pronounce them. So amongst the Canaanites, um, the, the, the V sound is, a, is a, either a W or a B, okay? okay so they say that. vodka or vodka, yeah? Vodka or vodka. Yeah, I was going to um, ask if uh, Albion is Avalon. Well, uh, it could actually be because, again, Bs, Vs, and Ws yeah. get <laughs> interchanged. Um, amongst the Germanics, they can't pronounce Vs, so you know, or W. Sorry, so they would say V will kill you, you know, <laughs> because they can't pronounce the, uh, the the Ws. So Iberish became Iverish or Irish, mm. okay, because of the the population. So so Ireland was a black country. The Welsh were black as well. They were from the Northern Kingdom. Right. They they descend from King Omri, right, and uh, they became the Cimmerians or um, Cymru, right? The Cymru means Welsh in Welsh, okay. Um, so so the the Welsh are black, the Irish were black, and the Irish actually some of the Irish went on to another land, and the only name that um, survives is is. Uh, um, Hebrides, <laughs> okay. So Iberia, Hibernia, Hebrides, right? So the Irish became the the Scots. Um, so the Scots were black people as well, okay. So literally, the whole of the of of the British Isles was essentially black at one point, right? Um, you also got another inf- in infusion of other black people called Saxons. Now, Saxon means Isaac's son, sons, sons of, Isaac. of Isaac. Yep. 
Yeah. So Isaac had two sons. Yeah, he mm. had Esau, the firstborn, and Jacob. The Saxons were sons of Jacob, right? Um, the other Saxons, the Anglo-Saxons, were the sons of Esau, right? Anglo means angelic, the angelic sons of Isaac, and not the good angels either, okay? So, um, so you had the um, England was was the uh, kind of a or Britain as or you know Britannia. So Britain and not Ireland, Scotland, or Wales. Britain, yeah, was um, was uh, was mixed tribes of of um, Trojans and Saxons and uh, Normans or Noir men. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was a black country. Then you got Anglo-Saxons coming over. I think it was about the year 400-ish, around mm -hmm. that time. Uh, and I've got, I've actually got a map, an old map, that has um, a picture of Jutland, which is uh, uh, Denmark, part of Denmark, I think, uh, Germany okay. and Denmark. Mm -hmm. um, and that was called uh, Angolan, right? home of the English. So that's where the English came in. Right, so the Anglo-Saxons right came in and uh, essentially um, infiltrated the the population, the islands, yeah. right, and they got to a point where they they had enough power um, around about the 1600s, and um, and they took over England. They they put a Germanic uh, William of Orange on the throne of England. Mm. The uh, um, Oliver Cromwell, his first task was to exterminate the Irish. Okay, so he literally started a war against the Irish, and um, the the population of Ireland fell by forty percent because he essentially exterminated most of the males. Right, it, the men he didn't kill, he transported to their new colonies in in the Caribbean. Right, so literally, that's that's how the population of uh, Ireland fell by forty percent because essentially all the males were gone. Yeah. Right, yeah. so you got Ireland full of women and children. Right, the the real Irish couldn't survive because it's essentially no men. So the Germans or English basically took over Ireland and uh, started raping the women. Um, the offspring the lighter skinned off offspring got to stay the darker ones got transported to the caribbean mm. you do that for 300 years or so you end up with a a white population in in ireland who are actually descendants of germans and the real irish over in the caribbean um mm. and well my my name is murphy you know and i i wondered where the hell did i get that name <laughs> You know, I assumed I assumed I got that name in slavery. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, we were given that name from a, a, a white slave owner. But I found a book in the British Library. Uh, apparently, there's only two copies left in this country. Um, and this book is, is called Whence the Black Irish of Jamaica. And it's a very interesting book. Because the uh, the writer of the book he um, he spent some time in Africa, and then he went to live in Jamaica, 
and he, he he looked around and he was saying, well, these these Jamaicans are very different from the Africans mm-hmm. that I just left, and they've all got pure Irish names. How did mm-hmm. how how does that happen? So he thought the same as me. He thought they must have got it in slavery. So he went and looked at the land um, land registry and the records of who, who the landowners were. He couldn't find a single name, single Irish name in those um, landowners. So they didn't get their names from slavery. Turns out that because um, Jamaica was a, a British or an English colony, well, England was at war with Ireland, so there can't have been any Irish landowners because it was an English colony. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so it turned out when when the writer, his name was uh, Williams, jo- Joseph Williams, um, when he went back to England, he checked out the records of um, of Oliver Cromwell's um, deportations. He found all of the names. Mm-hmm. So literally, the the Irish were taken you know, um, over to uh, the Caribbean with their names intact, right? Um, and and that's where they are to this day. The real Irish are in the Caribbean and in the Americas. Um, and, you know, the, the population of uh, Ireland are Germans. They don't like it when I tell them that, though. <laughs> yeah, I was listening to a, a, a podcast. I forget the name of the freaking podcast now. Um the the conspiracy guys uh gordon gordy uh they had a show and they were okay. talking about uh some black history and stuff and they were talking about the jamaicans and how their accent the the way they speak almost has that that like irish kind of uh accent to it scott uh, well listen listen to a bayesian a, a barbadian a, when when a bayesian speaks you hear irish yeah my 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 dad my dad was uh, was Bayesian, right? What, when he first is, came here, right? What is what is Bayesian? Hmm? What is Bayesian? From Barbados. Oh, okay. From Barbados. Got right. It. So, uh, my my dad was from Barbados. When he came to England, um, because he was he was kind of fair skinned, the Irish people he met thought he was Irish. They didn't know he wasn't Irish. <laughs> Oh, because his accent was so close to Irish that they didn't yeah. know. <laughs> wow. And his name was Murphy, so they had no reason not to think he was Irish. Right? Um, again, if you if you listen to the Bayesian accent, you will hear pure Irish. Um, so and, and Jamaica, you'll hear Scottish. You'll you'll start to hear Scottish. Right? Look at the Jamaican flag. If you remember the Jamaican flag, it's uh, green and black, and it's a cross with uh, the triangle, oh, triangle yeah. bits in between. It's a Scottish flag, just the colours are, d- are different. Hmm. You know, um, so so that's 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 essentially it. There, um, I, I think I was sp- speaking to a Jamaican, and I started to notice the Scottish words. Yeah, the the way they said certain words was very Scottish. Hmm. Um, so, so essentially, that's that's what what happened. And when my parents came over to England, they started seeing um, uh, signs in in the windows of uh, you know guest houses and things that said "No blacks, no dogs, no Irish." Hmm. And I'm you know I wondered why 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 are were the Irish lumped in with the black people? Well, it's because 
um, there's a there's a, a memory, uh, whether it's a racial memory or just a a, a kind of handed down type faded memory that the Irish were the, were black people. And it doesn't matter how white they are. There's that one drop rule. One one drop of Negro blood makes you a Negro, right? Mm. That the, the stigma remained. So that you know the the Germans in England, the the, the English, right, would look down on the the Irish because they said, "Well, no, you've still got some um, black blood in you." So, um, so that's why the the Irish were always looked down upon by the English, um, and apparently. The Irish became or, or joined the white race in 1940. Yeah, they were considered white. They became white in 1940. Um, mm. And you still had this idea of somebody, of people called the Black Irish. Yes. Now, when you ask, you ask somebody, uh, you know, what what does uh, what does it mean, the Black Irish? Oh, they'll say, oh, it's uh, it's people with, with dark hair and dark eyes. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you got you got French people with dark hair and dark eyes. You got Italians with dark hair and dark eyes. They're not called they're not called the black French or the black black uh, you know Italians. No, the Irish were black people, and you know this idea of the black Irish is just a memory of who they were originally. Hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating. Uh, there's a there's a book uh, uh, the. the is it Thomas Mackey, who uh, was the spy oh, for the Queen? John Mackey. John Mackey. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, John Mackey was a spy for William of Orange, William and Mary, and uh, he was his his task was to make an inventory of all the noblemen of of the of the whole British Isles. Right. Mm-hmm. So he went around and he de- he described everybody in detail. And most of the noblemen he described were black people, including King Charles's children. King Charles had lots of illegitimate children, and mm. um, and they became, you know, earls and uh, and you know, um, lords and whatever. And um, each one of them is described in this book. And it's uh, you know he's a, he's a tall, dark, you know, black man. Um, not as dark as their father, King Charles. <laughs> that was one of them, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so it, that's one of the pieces of evidence that tell you that, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, the nobility of the country were, were, were black people. And I went through that book and every um, black nobleman uh, that was described as such um, that had their surname there as well, I actually just noted down all the surnames. And in one of my slides of uh, one of my talks, I I, um, I I put up a slide with all these surnames, <laughs> and I said, if your surname uh, is is in this list, you probably descended from a black man. <laughs> <laughs> and I heard gasps from the audience. <gasps> <You know? laughs> I mean, there well, there is the out of Africa theory and whatnot, which basically says we all came out of Africa at some point. Um, so we w- would have all had to uh, descend from some type of black ancestor, which uh, is interesting because they say that, and then uh, you know they show Adam and his, and Eve as being Caucasian, but uh, wouldn't that make them uh, dark also? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, when when have you ever found the 
dust of the earth being pink. <laughs> nah. um, and we don't Ra all go Ra back to Africa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we don't all go back to Africa because um, that's kind of forgetting the whole flood story. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the flood did happen, right, because there's physical evidence that the flood happened, a worldwide flood happened, um, and Noah's Ark was found back in 1980, it was found. It was originally found in 1960 by a Turkish army captain, and um, an American uh, archaeological, archaeological team was sent over, and they just dismissed it as a natural formation. But mm. um, there's a guy called Ron Wyatt who went back um, with ground-penetrating radar and metal detectors and all this stuff and um, discovered the superstructure of a boat that fit the exact um, dimensions of uh, of Noah's Ark. And, uh, on Mount and the only thing right? that was wrong with it... Sorry? It was on Mount Ararat. Sorry? Uh, no, it was in the foothills of Mount Ararat. Oh, okay. That was the only problem. Because okay. the, the book says that it, the boat came to rest in the mountain, uh -huh. right? Um, now, the last clue was that um, um, Ararat is volcanic. Uh -huh. And so Ron Wyatt went up into the mountain, and what he found was the keel of the ark was still wedged in the, uh, in the mountain. And what must have happened was that Ararat um, erupted covered the ark in, in lava, right, so completely that it couldn't burn because, you know, fire needs oxygen to, uh, to actually burn. So it covered the ark. It, um, the, the weight of the ark and the lava snapped it off its keel, and uh, the ark went down the, the, the side of the mountain in the lava flow. Now, if you go on to um, Google Earth today and you, you find that location, You'll see that um, the surrounding area is, uh, you know, the, the the ground is fairly light coloured, and you get this dark, um, almost like large river, <laughs> and the ark is right smack dab in the middle of this river. This was a lava flow, mm. and you can see where the ark went down in this lava flow, and there was a um, a sharp piece of rock. Uh, it's jutting out, and the ark got speared in the side. So when you look at the um, ark from from Google Earth, so you'll see that the ark is arc-shaped, but it's dented on one side, and you'll see a, a rock sticking out of it. So literally, that's the whole story. The ark came down the, the mountain, got speared, and, and just got hooked up on this rock, um, and it's there to this day. And I think when Ron Wyatt actually... Um, wanted to excavate the turkish government started you know kind of dragging its heels and saying no we're not going to let you excavate excavate and then i th i believe the most high stepped in and there was a there was an earthquake at that very spot hmm. which actually excavated the boat for him wow <laughs> how does that happen yeah, yeah i think that's the hand of the most high that you know i want this to be discovered and uh, and right at that moment, it just excavated that whole thing. And sure enough, there's all this petrified wood that show that it's a, the the ribs and spars of this boat. Mm. Yeah, there was just a earthquake, a big earthquake in Turkey, like a couple months ago, a month ago. Um, and I think they said that it uh, they were able to find some more uh, 
archaeological stuff uh, because of the earthquake. It, sh it rattled everything. It didn't uh, destroy Goblecki Tepe at all. It left that intact, but it, it made some fissures and whatnot, and uh, they found some more stuff. They haven't disclosed necessarily what they have found, but they said, oh, we got some more treasure to find now because there's some openings in the earth. So that's pretty fascinating. Oh, there's there's been um there's a lot of um biblical stuff going on right now and uh, over the last few years that they when it made it into the news, it wasn't framed as biblical. Mm -hmm. Um an example was the Gulf War, for instance. Right, oh, okay. the Gulf War wasn't about oil. It wasn't about anything, uh, anything else. But um, the second narrative that was underneath the whole war story was um, that the the army was going into all the um, all the museums and and looting the museums for biblical artifacts. And uh, during the Gulf War, they found um, Nimrod's tomb or Gilgamesh's tomb, the same person. Mm -hmm. um, they found his tomb, and they also got the DNA of, of Nimrod, which, uh, you know, is, is, is pretty significant. Um, so, as I said, right now we are, in, we are in biblical times. These are the last days. And uh, the reason I know that is because of the, uh, the, last, the last prophecy uh, pretty much the last prophecy of the uh, Old Testament is what would happen to the Israelites by, um, when they would go into their their final punishment, okay? The final punishment of the Israelites was 400 years of hard slavery and affliction, okay? Mm -hmm. The worst slavery ever seen, ever conceived, Okay. And you can go into uh, Deuteronomy 28, the last half of Deuteronomy 28, and it describes how bad this slavery was going to be. Um, now, that that uh, slavery and affliction started August 21st, 1619. 400 years on from then is 2019, August 21st, 2019. So that was the end of that was the end of the uh, the slavery and affliction. Um, what happened August twenty first, twenty nineteen? What happened in twenty nineteen? Well, that that was the anniversary. That was a four hundred years over with, okay. and um, and straight away. Uh, I don't know if you remember that time. All all hell broke loose. There were all sorts of incredible weather events. You know, half of America was on fire. The other half was underwater. Yeah, um, there were locusts appearing in places that never saw locusts before. I think Las Vegas had had a, mm -hmm. a massive swarm of locusts come through. Um, even Siberia had had locusts come through. You know, um, there were you know rivers turning red all of a sudden out of the blue. Yeah, and then Birds a few months gone. later, yeah. lockdown. Mm -hmm. The whole world locked down. Yeah, so release of the slaves, lockdown. So, so that, okay. that that puts the beginning of of slavery then at sixteen nineteen. Yeah, um, isn't isn't that the same uh, date as the Bible? Isn't the Bible the King James version? Isn't that sixteen or sixteen? Sixteen eleven. Sixteen eleven. Okay. Got sixteen eleven. Yeah. The sixteen nineteen is that when the uh, Jacobites came into uh, Scotland and Ireland? 
Well, uh, Jacobites. Um, well, Jacobites came about because um, once once Charles II, once Charles II uh, um, was deposed, right? The people who who wanted the return of the black bloodline to the to the throne were called Jacobites mm-hmm. after King James, who was known as Aicobus or or Jacobus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they became known as Jacobites. So they were outlaws because they wanted the return of the uh, the Stuart line to the throne. So so that's it. That's who the Jacobites were, and it came from the the name Jacob. Uh, yeah, they were identified so, as children of Jacob. Yeah, so the Stuart line was Hebrew then, in in other words, right? Yes. Yeah. They were of the line of of King David. The uh, the German line that's on the throne today isn't of the line of King David. They um, they married into that line. They weren't of that line. So mm. I believe um, you know they married uh, married a female Stuart, um, mm. and that's where that's where their line came in. So, so I think if I get it right again, I haven't looked at it for a while, but I think it was uh, somebody of the Hanoverian line married um, a daughter of uh, of one of the King Jameses. I think it might be James II, um, and so got into into the on, to the throne that way sort of by marriage yeah 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 like i was saying there was that uh, dutch uh a woman who i think she was brought across the sea uh to marry king james uh because they they were making him to be able to stay in power marry this woman and then i think he had kids and then after that happened they're like okay well, fuck you we don't need you anymore now you <laughs> because you have you've had the kid so then uh, that that kid went on to uh uh be the line you know um but then after that they got rid of all the rest of the stewards it's this has been a very nova scotia. slow nova scotia right new scotland yeah new scotland yeah exactly <laughs> yeah um this has been a very very slow takeover of um of world power um and and it goes back thousands of years yeah mm-hmm. it's a small a very small bloodline of people right taking over the world and right now we are in that world that they they control now um and they came back into power uh at the time we call the the renaissance period which is about the same time that mm-hmm. we're talking about here yeah um that was yeah, they say that uh, uh, only like, not only, but about 82,000 uh, people came into uh, America as slaves from Africa. Most of them went to Spain and England uh, in way in the 100,000s. Uh, do you think a lot of the population of uh, the, the, the so-called slavery in America uh, came from Scotland and Ireland uh, through like the orphan trains and stuff like that. Do you know about the orphan trains and whatnot? I do. I do. Um, do, you think, do you think no, that was part um, of that or something different? Not really. Okay. Not really. It's, uh, I'll get to that in a second. Yeah. Because that's very interesting as well. Yeah. Um, so, so the, the, the slaves, I, they, um, they didn't all come from Africa. That's the point. 
Yeah. Yes, yeah. there were a lot of um, slave ships coming from Africa, but they also came from Europe. Remember what uh, um, Benjamin Franklin was saying? I, mm-hmm. all, all of Europe was black, apart from a few small pockets of white people. Yeah. Um, so essentially, all these uh, um, European wars, like the Hundred Years' War and the Forty Years' War, and uh, these were ethnic cleansing. Right. Um, you know the the uh, the black people from Europe were taken either as slaves, prisoners, vagabonds. Um, any excuse, they were shipped out. Right? But they weren't counted as the slaves that uh, you know came from Africa. They were they were sometimes called indentured servants, but they were slaves. You know, mm-hmm. um, and and so yeah, there was there was those coming from Europe straight to uh, to the Americas. There was the people from the British Isles who went via the Caribbean, uh, and sometimes directly to the Americas, South America as well. Um, but mostly to via the Caribbean. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Uh, I watched some, uh, have you heard of uh, Kuramiu Ahau on uh, YouTube? He does a lot of... Uh, no. Yeah, he does a lot of great videos uh, about uh, American uh, black history, and he presumes that there was already black people um here in america before even any of that uh stuff happened uh that that that's why there was uh black people that already owned land in america was because they were already here and then they tried to, when they came over they said oh well they're actually slaves and then they you know took it over then took it for themselves and then kind of like they always do they always take over the old thing and then proclaim it as their own um so yeah so that's uh, another i'm not sure I'm not sure that they were they were Hebrew Israelites, um, mm, mm. because because there are another people who were sharing the land with the Hebrews, um, the Canaanites, and um, most Canaanites were were or, or I say most Canaanites were were black, um, but there were the Canaanites who stayed in the land when Joshua arrived. They were they were turned white. I think it says so in in Deuteronomy. Right? Mm. They were they were given the curse of leprosy, right? But the the ones who'd left, um, you know, um, land of Canaan, you know, they became the Phoenicians. Uh, in in one group became the Phoenicians, um, and that, the, the others became the you know the Indians of various places. Yeah, the the native Indians of various places, right? So. Um, because the Canaanites shared the land, they also shared the language, you know, because um, Paleo-Hebrew um, was, was a language of pictures. So there were, people would draw, like, for the letter A, uh, a picture of an ox head, yeah, so triangular-faced ox head with uh, two horns and two ears outside. Um, the, the, the Phoenicians or the, uh, the Canaanites took that script and they created a, a more standardized script, which was, okay, instead of a picture of a, a, a cow's head, they did like a, a V for the, the face and a line across it so that you got two horns and two ears coming outside. And so they, they kind of standardized that language. So you've got Paleo-Hebrew and the kind of Canaanite version of Paleo-Hebrew. And that's what they're finding in, um, in America. So the, the Hebrews would use it, 
and the Canaanites. So I can't, I'm not sure whether those people are Hebrews or Canaanites. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, in America, there's a lot of stuff about it being uh, Egypt or presumably the original Egypt before the diaspora. Um, uh, because of the, like in the Grand Canyon, they have found a whole bunch of Egyptian artifacts. So uh, some people say that it happened uh, a long time ago. And some people say, you know, it happened relatively recently after like kind of the downfall of uh, Egyptian society and uh, the the beginnings of slavery. So it's, it's or not actually way before that, uh, 500 AD. So more common era than uh, BC time. So it's, well, it's, you know, um, I was just going to say, in the in the Old Testament, um, it talks about um, Peleg, and uh, Peleg, I think it was father of Eber, or it might be the other way around. But in Peleg's days, was the earth divided? Right, not the people. It said the earth was divided in Peleg's days. Right, so in the uh, uh, at the Tower of Babel, it says the people were divided. Divide out and went their way, but in Peleg's days, the earth was divided. So um, I don't doubt that uh, there was there was you know um, Egyptian artifacts found in a very various other places mm. because you know I, I I imagine people were able to roam around on different land masses because they were pretty much the same land mass at one point. Ah ah okay, like a Pangaea type of thing going on. Could be. Not like complete Pangaea, but uh, a little bit of separation from what we think of as Pangaea and then Atlantic being like maybe a, a big fissure that because uh, I know the east coast of America does have some connection with um, Ireland, like uh, the, the um, land itself. There's a mountain range that connects to over there. And it's the same type of rock and everything. So it seems like there at one well, point there could have been some kind of fissure or split between all the lands. Well, um, this comes into a different uh, a different area that uh, is a bit contentious, but um, um, part of the flat earth, my flat earth research, mm -hmm. um, there was a guy who, who, who posted some amazing videos uh, called Iwaranon. And he did a, a set of videos called uh, Lost History of Flat Earth. And one of the things that he proposed, which I actually believe must be true, is that um, if you think of the flat earth as a, as a lake, mm -hmm. okay, uh, a, a pond, right? So a circular pond. Now, imagine that circular pond is just one small part of a larger lake, Okay, so the lake is about four times the size of of this pond, and that lake is frozen over, totally frozen over. Um, but there's a heat source that's going around a quarter of that area, and it's melting out a small puddle out of that lake. Mm -mm. Well, that's our Earth, okay? And 
the sun is moving around a, uh, a magnetic source, a ma magnet, uh, uh, this point of magne ma magnetic or point of magnetism, and that point is moving around the larger lake, dragging the sun with it. Okay, and uh, the sun is melting out a different lake as it's going around. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. Right. So, so the islands that are poking out of the lake we call continents. Um, and as the sun moves around, moves around um, there are continents that are going under the ice, getting colder and colder and freezing over, and new continents um, emerging out of the, the ice. Okay? Mm -hmm. So our idea of, uh, of land, you know, is, is a kind of changeable in that model because over the eons, you know, land just disappears because it, it literally gets too cold to live and then disappears under the ice and people move to a new land mm -hmm. and they usually bring the, the same names over with them and, and so on. So that kind of leads on to this idea of, um, you know, the orphan trains you were talking about. Oh. Okay. Okay. So around the time or just before these, this idea of orphan trains, um, there was this phenomenon of, um, of world fairs, okay? Mm -hmm. These amazingly built cities, which, yep. uh, you know, the system are trying to tell us that uh, they, they manufactured this city out of uh, chicken wire and plaster, yeah? The amazing architecture, huge buildings, right? Um, and they said, you know, they manufactured it for this world fair. You know, they showed off all this technology and then they destroyed it after six months. What really happened, in, in my view, is that um, a new continent came out from under the ice and people moved there and found cities already built. Mm. Okay? It's amazing cities already built with, our, with all this technology in it and they just called it a world's fair. Now... If you go to, I believe, the Chicago's World Fair um, for 1893, I believe it was, um, one of these amazing huge buildings was called the Baby Incubator Building. Uh, so people yeah. would go in and see rows and rows and rows of incubators with loads of babies with all these babies in them. Right? Um, around the same time, we're told that. Um, Cloning was discovered oh. around the same time. Yeah. And when you look into uh, you look into the um, the work of the person, I can't remember that guy's name, who invented, supposedly invented cloning, um, there's an account of him putting um, a baby in this darkened box, right? The first incubator, it was a darkened box. It was it was kept um heated. More, you know, sort of uh, a, a lot hotter than I guess would be considered comfortable. And um, uh, I can't remember something else that he did, but he kept this baby in uh, in these conditions, and this baby would grow sort of uh, a year in a day. So they would were able to grow children at an accelerated rate. So you had this phenomenon of, of babies and incubators, and then a few years later, you had this idea of orphans, hundreds of thousands of orphans coming from nowhere, hmm. right? 
and then having orphan trains taking, you know, these orphans from New York um, to the rest of the country to populate all these, uh, all these cities, okay? Remember what I said about Benjamin Franklin, 1755, very few white people. By the time of these orphan trains, right, all of a sudden there were now millions of white people all over the place, right? Hmm. And there were never any black orphans on these orphan trains. Interesting. Bear in mind also that that was America. In England at the same time, all of a sudden there were all these orphans came out of nowhere. Nobody knows where they came from. And these orphans mm. were then transported um, to Canada, to uh, Australia, to South Africa, right? At the same time, in Europe, in Russia, all of a sudden they had all these orphans and nobody knows where all these orphans came from. Mm. And these orphans got transported around Russia and Europe, okay? I didn't and know so it was worldwide. from 1755... Yeah, it was a worldwide event. Yeah. So 1755, very few uh, white people, right? A hundred years later, millions of white people, hmm. a lot of them coming from orphans. Interesting. Wow. Uh, my mom has done my genealogy, uh, and uh, we, we can trace it all the way back to... Uh, King Charlemagne, but King Charlemagne is said to have hundreds of children. So, uh, who knows, but, um, so, you know, do you think any of, of the Royals and, and whatnot were, were black way back then, or do you, or some of them were, and then kind of, uh, as, uh, you know, the reformation happened, uh, a lot of, uh, the darker skin got kicked out and replaced with white people or how, what do you think happened there? You have two two different types of royalty. Okay. okay. You have royalty that descends from King David, mm -hmm. right? The the royal the real royal bloodline. And you have another um bloodline. Okay. Now this bloodline goes all the way back to before the flood. Oh okay. it started with the uh the fallen angels. Oh, so we're going to get into okay. some Nephilim now, huh? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, so you've got the Nephilim who um, descended from the fallen angels. Right? Um, now, um, that bloodline basically took over the earth to such an extent that, um, that Noah was the only one left who didn't have this Nephilim DNA in him. Okay. Um, so, that's why the flood had to happen because the most high just wiped the earth of that bloodline, but it couldn't get rid of it completely because as I said, Noah was the, was the only one who, who didn't have Nephilim DNA in him. Okay. So Noah's wife was corrupted and we've, uh, I've since found out that Noah's wife was um, of the line of Cain. Her name was Nama of the line of Cain. So Cain's bloodline, which also came from an angel, um, was, was in Noah's wife. So Noah's children were corrupted. And uh, a week before the flood, Noah had to find wives for his three sons. Right? So the, the wives of Noah, um, Noah's sons were corrupted. So post-flood, 
what you see in uh, Genesis post-flood was the Most High cleaning the bloodline. Yeah, He selected out of Noah's three sons, Shem, as the chosen line. Okay, because his bloodline was the cleanest out of the, the out of the three. Okay, um, out of all Shem's children, Arphaxad was chosen. Okay, and then skipped a few generations, and then it was Eber who was chosen. Skipped a few more generations, then it was Abraham who was chosen, and Abraham was told to marry his half sister. Okay, um, now. Sarah, his half-sister, was barren. Um, and so, you know, Sarah gave um, Abraham his, uh, her handmaid, who was an Egyptian. And his so Abraham's firstborn um, wasn't chosen because he was of the wrong bloodline, okay? Only with Sarah, right, his half-sister, right, um, was uh, was Isaac was born? So Isaac was chosen because it was about purifying the bloodline away from the, the fallen angel seed. Okay, so when it came down to Isaac's children, Isaac's twin boys, what happened there was all of the Nephilim DNA was concentrated in Esau. Okay, if you listen to the description of Esau, right. You hear the description of the fallen angels, wicked, cunning, um, you know, warlike. Um, now, in Jacob, he had no fallen angel DNA. It was His bloodline was now considered purified. So all of Jacob's children were now considered pure. Okay? That's the story. That, the story of the Old Testament is a story about bloodlines, right? The most highest bloodline, you know, the, um, from Adam. So the original blueprint of man, and you got the the counterpoint, which was the the image of the, the fallen angels, and they're, they're the two bloodlines that have been warring ever since. So, okay, so it, you're saying Noah was black, and his wife and the the other wives of his children were of the Nephilim uh, Caucasian bloodline. And then so they started to breed out the white to keep the pure uh, black. Is that what, is that what I'm getting or am I off? Well, um, one of the, well, okay. Um, or Hebrew or however you want. Okay. So, so um, in one of the books that was um, released by the Vatican in 2019, mm. It's called uh, the book, the Book of Lamech of Cain. I don't know okay. if you've come across it. No, I haven't. It's more like the it's more like the pamphlet of uh, Lamech of Cain because <laughs> it's a very really short book. Oh, okay. um, it talks about Nama. It talks about Nama. It says that Nama was not so wicked as as the rest because actually Nama came from. Okay, going back, Lamech of Cain married Adar and Zillah who were daughters of, of Kenan, of the line of, uh, of Seth, okay? Okay. So um, Kenan's daughters married, married Lamech. So their child, Nama, it says she wasn't as wicked, so she wasn't as, as light as uh, the rest of the people of, of Cain, okay? okay? So she would be considered mixed race or, or half-caste. 
Okay. Um, Mulatto. So I nothing much is said about everybody, you know, everyone else uh, before the flood. So I can't really say anything. But all I can say was that was that uh, Noah was born as um, albino, and mm. he he then changed after he was born. He was um, he was born albino. Um, apparently, blonde hair, blue eyes, and uh, yeah. white skin, um, because his father Lamech saw him when he was born and was frightened, and he ran to Methuselah, his father, and uh, asked to go and see Enoch for wisdom. And he said, he said to his father, "I have begotten a strange son," you know, and described him as white-skinned and you know, pink. You know, and uh, and and blonde hair, um, and in, I think Enoch said, "No, he's not. He's not of the children of the fallen angels. He is. He's been. He's been marked to show that he will do something amazing in his days." And mm. that's 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 what the angel told. Uh, that's what uh, Enoch told him. Um, and uh, and yes, yeah, so he was he was born albino and he changed. That's interesting. I, I, I've seen like uh, documentaries about the uh, uh, albinos in Africa, and um, you know the how through two black people basically have these white uh, with white hair, white eyes, uh, children are born. Uh, I've also heard stories about uh, that they would take these albinos and uh, take them up to uh, like Georgia. And uh, I forget what the uh, the Caucasus Mountains, and then they put the babies over there because they thought that they were um, something was wrong with them, and and that's how the Caucasian population uh, got started was from black albinos. So I mean, I've I've heard all kinds of stories and stuff like that. But right. what what do you think about that story? Uh, yeah, that's a that bit ridiculous, really. Um, <laughs> the uh, the Caucasus Mountains is uh, essentially where um, the uh, Germanics um, mm. that that bloodline ended up being pushed after the fall of Rome. Okay. Right? So they 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 were basically exiled to the woods and the mountains. Um, and have you you heard the phrase uh, or? or the name wood woes no. or wild men. Yes. Uh, right. So the wild men of the forest, that's what they were. They ended up being called because mm. they ended up growing long red hair all over their bodies. And they'd wear like uh, either be nude or wear just fig leaves or some or, or leaves around them. And they'd have a crown of leaves around their heads and stuff. And they'd have clubs, wooden clubs, um, and you, you'll see them on heraldry. Um, I think if you look at Prince Philip, uh, Prince Philip's um, coat of arms, you'll see. It tell, coat of arms tells stories, yes. tells the story of, a, of the bloodline. And on Prince Philip's coat of arms is a, uh, a, uh, a white-skinned wild man with a club looking, looking with hatred at a golden lion with a crown on it. The golden lion is the lion of Judah. Yeah. yeah? Of the Pharaoh's line. Yeah. Okay. You'll see on a lot of other heraldry, a red lion. Okay. The red lion 
is the Lion of Judah, but of the Zara line. Um, why it's red is because Zara, okay, Zara and Fares were twins, okay? And um, when they were about to be, be born, one of the twins stuck his hand out, okay? And the midwife said, oh, this is going to be the firstborn. So they tied a scarlet thread around the, the wrist. The baby pulled the arm back in, and then the other baby was born. <laughs> so Pharaoh's was born first, and Zara came out with a red thread on his arm, so he was known as the Red Hand. Yeah? Oh, shit. So, right, so um, in Ireland you'll see, right, in the Ulster flag in the middle is a Red Hand, telling you that Zara line was there, okay? Mm. Um, so the Red Lion, right, so it's a Red Kingly Lion, but that's the line of Judah of the Zara line. The golden is Fares. Um, are you familiar with Ralph Ellis? Uh, no, no. We had him on the show one time. Um, but he has this book called Mary Magdalene, Princess of Orange. And it goes into the whole, okay. uh, we, when we had him on the show, he was talking about the red hand and how there's a connection to that, to Ireland. Um, it's interesting. Uh, does that connect to the Native Americans or anything in any way? Because uh, there's a lot of like hand petroglyphs of like red. It's like an outline of a hand and red paint. And uh, I've heard stories where they say like that mean that's like a warning not to go in that direction because uh, you know, something's going to happen or the, it's like a, a bad omen to find a red hand uh, on a wall. Are, you, is that, are those petroglyphs, do those, those hands have six fingers? No, five. Okay. You might want to check, right? Cause, okay. Because that would be the warning. That would be the warning because uh, uh, a lot of the Native Americans apparently came into contact with the, you know, again, some some Nephilim DNA-type yeah. people who were giants and had six fingers. Um, mm. And it said that's why they they raise their hand and say, like, how, whatever they say, right, yeah. to be able to count the fingers. Yeah. And um, the idea of blood brothers where they, you know, cut the hand and mix the blood, right, is because RH-negative blood, which is a trait of these um, Nephilim, by the fallen angel DNA, um, RH negative blood, when it's mixed with uh, RH positive blood, it starts to curdle. So they'd be able to look at the blood and see if you are you are human or Nephilim. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Uh, can we get back to Esau and Jacob? Uh, and uh, mm -hmm. you said that Esau pretty much inherited all the Nephilim blood. That's why he was uh, hairy and red, right? Uh, he had hairy, mm -hmm. he was hairy and had red hair. And then, um, and then Jacob uh, was the more pure one uh, or the, didn't have all that Nephilim blood, I guess you could say. Uh, so I have a bone to pick with that uh, because okay. it seems as though Esau tricks, or not Esau, Jacob tricks his father into getting um, the blessing to become the progenitor, and but it was originally supposed to be Esau's. So 
uh, I'm just curious how that how that works, you know? Right. Well, it um, almost seems like yes, a trickster saw... type thing, like because he went and tricked, uh, you know, his father. He dressed himself oh, like, with yeah. like Harry, made himself look Harry because his father was blind, and then he he uh, tricked his own father into giving him uh, the uh, progeny. Yeah. Yeah, the blessing. Yeah, so first of all, um, the Most High told Rebecca that uh, that um, the 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 elder will serve the younger. Yeah, he, yes. the Most High already told Rebecca that's what was going to happen. That you know Jacob would get the blessing and not Esau. Right. Um, also, just before this happened, um, Esau sold his birthright to uh, to Jacob. Right, for supposedly for a for a pot of stew or something. Yeah. Right. Um, so he sold his birthright. So when Isaac said, um, I'm I'm about to die, you know, um, let me give you your blessing, Esau should have said, Sorry, Dad, I've just sold my birthright to uh, to Jacob. But he didn't. He just went ahead and said, All right, I'm gonna get the birthright. All right. Um, so he basically was basically defrauded he was going to defraud jacob anyway because you know he'd sold his birthright so really the uh the trickery was basically just redressing a wrong mm. okay because i've heard that like uh jacob sent esau out to go hunting and uh he knew isaac, did. isaac sent esau out to go hunting Oh, yes, he said, okay. "Mate, yeah, get me, hunt me some d uh, deer, so we, I can um, have some, have a, you know, the meal that I like, and uh, I'll give you my blessing." Mm, okay, yeah, because this one was about uh, uh, seemingly the idea of uh, taking the coat um, from from the other brother. Uh, it kind of gets into that with like the ham and Noah thing, uh, how ham. Uh, stole the coat instead of maybe sodomy and then uh the other uh and then with uh esau and jacob esau or yeah he's fuck jacob stealing the coat from esau um and whatnot because it always seems do you to know how do you know how um on too. do you know how yeah do you know how um esau got the coat nah he stole it from jacob it actually took <laughs> No, it actually tells you. It actually tells you where in the in the book of um, in the book of Jasher, um, how Esau got the coat. So Esau killed Nimrod. Oh. Right. So Nimrod got the coat from his his father Cush, and Cush got it from Ham. Right. And Ham yeah. stole it from Noah. Yeah. There right? It is. right. And the story with Ham, by right, um, doing something, and it wasn't sodomy. Yeah, yeah. No, well, I mean, so, some that people, was made up. Some people say that, so that I was just right. Well, uh, again, um, Noah's wife was of the line of Cain, so she wasn't um, completely sort of pure herself, right? So um, she might not. She might have been complicit in this, but um, but Ham, um, yeah, uncovering the nakedness of his father. Well, that means to to sleep with um, his father's wife. Right? You find that in in Leviticus. That same phraseology means to sleep with um, to you know somebody's wife. Right. So um, Ham slept with with his mother. Right. 
the result was Canaan. And that's why Canaan was cursed and not Ham. Mm. Right? It's also why um, all the giants, the post-flood giants, were Canaanites. Because, think about it, all the DNA, the, the Nephilim DNA in Nama, right? The Nephilim DNA was also in Ham. And Nama and Ham coming together concentrates that DNA into their offspring, Canaan. So there's now more of a chance of that Nephilim DNA, you know, um, coming up from dormancy and expressing itself. And it did in Canaan's children. And a lot of Canaan's children, they became giants. Yeah. All right. As I said, when you, when you figure the story out, when you, you see the story in its entirety, mm-hmm. all these little um, strange bits start to make sense, yeah? Yeah, If you take it in, in terms though. of bloodline. <laughs> yes, there are lots of strange bits. Yeah. Um, here's another, another bit of strangeness. Uh, this whole idea of, uh, of um, I, uh, Abraham, is it Abraham? Yeah, Abraham going to sacrifice Isaac. Mm-hmm. Right? That doesn't seem to make sense. Right? You know, um, why would the most high, you know, tell Abraham to, to kill his firstborn son as, yeah. a, as a sacrifice? When when the most high already I hope I hope this isn't too noisy. My <laughs> mum's forgotten again and she's uh she's grating something. Um yeah, so, so why why would uh, why would Abraham be, t- be forced to sacrifice his only son? Um, right. So, if you look in the book of Jasher, it tells you that it wasn't the Most High that uh, that told him to do that. It was it was an angel. Right. It was w- one of the wicked angels that told him to do that. Yeah. Um, and and essentially, this angel, right, a a Satan called Mastema, yeah. Um, held back the ram that was supposed to be the sacrifice, and said, "You know, it's got to be, it's got to be um, uh, Isaac, right? Because you know, first of all, the Most High hates sacred human sacrifices. He said that, right? Yeah, and the Most yeah. High doesn't change, right? Mm-hmm. Second of all, he'd already promised, he'd already promised to Abraham that Isaac would be the would would." spawn a great nation how could he do that if he was going to be sacrificed as a boy yeah so the promise had already been given so the you know abraham wasn't an idiot he was he was a very very wise very clever man you know if if the most high you know said you got to say you know promised him that his son was going to uh, be spawn a great nation and then said no you've got to kill him for no they'll be he'd be like well hang on a minute what, what do you mean you know yeah, it, none of it makes sense until you plug in the fact that it was an angel trying to stop that bloodline from from um, continuing because Abraham and Sarah were a choke point. Yeah, it came down to those two. They had the the the, the chosen one. Yeah, Isaac. But if Isaac died, well, Abraham and Sarah are now too old to have any more children. But this, this, uh, if you go into the book of Jasher, it also tell, tells you that um, this Mastema wanted to make sure, so he was the one who was behind the death of Sarah. 
He wanted to make sure that they, they couldn't be, uh, um, you know, this chosen line continuing. Right? So it tried to kill Isaac and then try and killed Sarah so that there's no chance. Right. But yeah, but the most high got there in um, right at the end and, go, and said, hey, don't don't sacrifice your son. <laughs> and that's when they found, oh, the ram for sacrifice is being held back by that Satan. Ah, yeah, that makes more sense. Um, when, when we were first talking uh, before we started the show, you, you said uh, what the uh, you said you asked me if I knew what the original origins of the Bible or the reason for the Bible was. Uh, can can we get into that? The, what 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 the purpose well, is? We probably just we've already just uh, touched on that. Really, yeah, it's, yeah. it's all about bloodlines yeah it's all about the fact that the most high um created adam he, he formed adam as almost as his offspring essentially mm-hmm. is his representative on earth um adam was supposed to be the uh, immortal governor of earth okay um yeah. and he was gonna he was gonna govern on his own all right until right um, Adam's first job was to name all the animals. And it says in the book, um, amongst the animals, a helper wasn't found. <laughs> right? So the most I realized he, you know, Adam might need a helper. And, you know, they couldn't find a helper, a suitable helper amongst the animals. So that's when Eve was created. Eve wasn't created as a mate, right? Because they were meant to be immortal. Okay. Um, the the reason why that, that kind of got messed up was the uh, the whole incident in the garden had nothing to do with eating apples. It was um, an angel, and his name was given in the, in the Book of Enoch as Gadriel or or yeah or Gad. Okay, it's where you get the word G O D from. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, which is the name of a fallen angel. Um, so this this angel Gadriel. Right, he seduced Eve, showed her about sex, right, and then Eve went and showed Adam, and as soon as as soon as they had sex, they lost their ability to be immortal, right? Because the way I see it is that when you when you have a child, you give some of your your life energy to that child, right? So uh-huh. if you're an immortal and you give away some of that life energy. Well, now you can't be immortal anymore, right? Because that that energy is gone and given to a child, and now you're, you know, he, you know, Adam lived for nine hundred and thirty years, but he, you know, he couldn't be immortal anymore. Um, yeah. So, and there, there's a bit more evidence, uh, but yeah, there's lots. It, it, I'll go on for for hours if I had to, but <laughs> there's lots more evidence to to me that shows me that. Um, that that's what happened. Adam was supposed to be immortal. Uh, it got messed up by uh, by the fallen angels. Plan B, as it as such, was um, okay. It's no longer going to be Adam. It's going to be Adam's offspring. Mm. And so the Most High cleaned the earth of um, of the Nephilim DNA. And the final cleansing was uh, was essentially a split. So it was um, Jacob being now cleansed. Esau spawning the Edomites, right? He was actually kept to be a punishment for for Jacob, because um, that particular bloodline 
was going to do was going to be doing the uh, the um, enslavement, the final enslavement. So the Most High brought the Edomites against Jacob for the final punishment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, th- I think if you go in the book of e- e- um, Obadiah, it basically says that um, that the Edomites went too far in their in their pursuit of uh, of punishing the um, the the Israelites, and so um, there will be there will be judgment against them. That's the whole book of Obadiah. Uh, so, some people believe that the Edomites uh, died out a long time ago. Uh, that they were all uh, killed off, but do you think there there was some pockets of Edomites that still survive, and are they are they still around today? The Edomites became the Greeks and then the Romans. Right, yeah. yeah. The Edomites are still here, oh. and uh, they're still here, still in force. And um, you know, if that was true, then why would the book of uh, Obadiah be talking about um, the the demise of Edom in the last days? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what the the particular bloodline I'm the... talking about? Yeah. The... Sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say the particular bloodline I'm talking about um, would symbolize themselves with the eagle. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you can follow them around the world and their various empires, um, you know, with their eagle symbolism. So you've got, uh, you've got the eagle from, from uh, Egypt. You know, you've got the eagle from Greece, a two-headed eagle in Greece. Yeah, you've got the SPQR eagle of Rome. Yeah, you've got the eagle of Germany. Okay, remember Saxony? Mm-hmm. Right, as a pocket of uh, these, this bloodline. Um, and then you've got another place now where where the eagle is being symbolized as America. as the current empire, America. Mm-hmm. Okay, in Obadiah, it talks about. I say it's all about the Edomites, and it says that the Edomites would set their nest among the stars. I think it goes, though thou exalt thyself as the eagle and set thy nest among the stars, then shall I bring you down, okay? So what country has set their nest among the stars? I'm going to guess America, but I'm not 100% sure. Well, okay. What was the, what was the supposed last first words from the, supposedly the moon? From the moon? Very first words from the moon. Yeah. I don't know. Tranquility base. The eagle oh. has landed. Gotcha, gotcha. From the moon. They didn't choose eagle. They didn't choose eagle just uh, from a whim. No, they were setting their nest among the stars, putting their standard, the eagle. That's right? why all the Just Greek as they names. put it in all the countries they've been. Apollo, Sorry? Greek. Apollo is Greek. Artemis is Greek. Greek names for exactly yeah exactly right the, the, those um Greek gods are the fallen angels mm-hmm. yeah these fallen angels have had this the the same characters they've just got given different names because of the Tower of Babel where all the people went away with the these these the knowledge of these fallen angels they just gave them different names yeah so yeah. so yes the Edomites set their nest among the stars. So, and uh, that's why 
So who are the sna- who are the, who are the serpents? Who are the snake people then? The eagle, okay, the, well, the I, eagle and the serpent battle each other. So if the eagle eagle is uh, nephilim, the brother brothers fight each other. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and and this bloodline is particularly warlike. So if they haven't got enemies to fight, they fight each other. Okay, oh. so the eagle is one bloodline, right? Uh, of of this. Okay, one branch of this bloodline there mm-hmm. are other branches like the kazarians mm-hmm. who were the serpent people okay? okay and just just like just like the israelites have 12 tribes yeah the uh, illuminati have 12 uh, 12 bloodlines of the illuminati yeah so equal and opposite yeah you got the 12 tribes and the 12 bloodlines okay 12 or 13 because okay. You know, um, uh, Jacob, not Jacob, Joseph tribe was split into two. So you've got 13 bloodlines mm-hmm. and you've got 13 bloodlines with the Illuminati. Yeah. Dan, Dan was kicked out. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think Dan uh, relates to the Phoenicians and, and Troy and all that stuff too, which is pretty interesting because it, it seems like... Uh, more of like a hybrid like there's different people within that whole group uh it wasn't one racial ethnicity it was multi-cultural multi-races because they're maritime culture so they go to these different places and uh cohabitate with them well again the 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 custom was to name a place after the people which is what so you can find yeah, you can find uh, where Dan went where by looking at place names mm-hmm. um, and rivers like the Danube, yeah, yep, yep. Denmark, yep, Mark yeah. of Dan, yep. yeah. Um, so yeah, Sweden. Is there know? is there a lot of those um, places in uh, in England, Ireland, Scotland? A lot of places named after Dan or named after. Um, um, Yes, there are places uh, usually, I think, with the name Don, because, mm-hmm. because um, you know, uh, vowels are interchangeable, yeah? Um, Paleo-Hebrew, original language, had no vowels. So, you know, vowels were introduced later, and so they're kind of inter- interchangeable. So, yeah, when you, when you find words like Don or words with name place names with don in them yeah that's that's kind of an indication i think uh, i might be wrong um but i think i think that's i think that's yeah. uh, that's how it is in england anyway you're accurate i'd say uh i don't usually get political over here but don trump uh is that the uh is that a trumpet is that a a seal being broken uh I don't know. I don't know. I mean, because look, um, okay, this is uh, this is where it gets a bit contentious. Um, as far as I'm concerned, the New Testament is uh, is a, a fake book. It was created okay. by the Romans, the Greeks, and the Romans, um, yeah. who were the Edomites, the enemies of the Israelites, and uh, you know, JC was created to um, make the Israelites uh, sin without knowing it. Oh, so wow. the first commandment, the first commandment is thou shalt not have any other gods before me. Right? So when the, the Edomites came at the Israelites as Romans, they said, okay, 
um, this is your 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 creator. Yeah, this is your most high. He came, he's come down as a man, right? Which is what Romans, all the Roman gods were, were man gods. Okay, your this is your creator, the most high, as a man. In order to worship the most high, you've got to go through this guy. Yeah. So, so any Christian, or let's not no, step back. Any Israelite who joins this 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 religion of Christianity and worships JC, well, he's breaking the first commandment and worshiping somebody before the Most High. Mm. Wow. Yeah, that's deep. Um, yeah, because they they wear the the cross. Mm and uh, the crucifixion cross, which is an idol to me, which is uh, against, uh, that's blasphemy, right? Uh, so, Well, the book, the book actually says that um, when the Israelites go into captivity, right, the final captivity, they were going to worship gods, strange gods of wood and stone. Mm. All right, well... There are only two religions that, uh, you know, the Israelites today have uh, fallen into, right? Christianity, the, the religion of wood, the wooden cross, and uh, Islam, the religion of the Kaaba stone. Yeah, so the relig- strange religions of wood and stone. Hmm. Wow. So, so okay, so you think that the New Testament is all uh, Esau version. So what, what do you think the... Old Testament is the Old Testament come from the Hebrew Scriptures, which are right the 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 words and the stories of of the Most High and and you know the history of His people. Mm. Okay. It's a book of law, history, and guidance. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you said uh, I heard in another episode you said that the original name for the Bible was something else. It was the Book of uh, Remembrance. Yeah, the book of the law, the book of uh, remembrance. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's in Malachi. Yeah. Okay. Because because it would it's really all about right. The whole book was written by the Israelites of of antiquity for their descendants in the future when they would forget who they are. You know, forget you know their their connection to the Most High. They'd forget their culture, their their history, their names, their you know their origins, everything. They'd forget everything. But in the last days, they would start to remember themselves in the lands of their captivity, and then find the Most High. Mm. Mm. And that's what's happening. Yeah, that's fascinating, man. It's so interesting. Uh... You know, I've been uh, looking at the Bible for a long time and reading different things. Uh, the bloodline stuff always is very confusing to me, like trying to understand how all that works. But uh, the way you kind of explained it today uh, to me, uh, now I'm starting to make some different uh, correlations in my head, which is why I'm kind of stuttering on my words because I'm thinking about <laughs> how all of it, you know, fits in and works. Uh, it's pretty uh, pretty interesting, man, and uh, yeah, it connects to some other things that I've heard about and and stuff. So uh, yeah, I'm gonna spend some more time looking into this. Um, well, what's what's interesting is that um, in Daniel, 
um, it said something like, shut up the book till the end, yeah? Um, how, so how do you shut up the most popular um, book of all time, yeah? How do you shut up so it can't be understood? Uh, well, when you put a religion over it, so that the story is is kind of skewed away from the, its actual meaning, and now it's directed at uh, you know JC. Uh, it's all about him now. Well, now the book is unreadable. Yeah, if you if you try and read the the uh, Old Testament with the with the uh, you know New Testament Messiah character, you know in your heart, right? It does the, the book doesn't make any sense. Right? You take him out, you take that idol out of your heart and read the book. The book is a, an amazing story, an amazing science fiction story right, that uh, makes absolute total sense. Yeah. Uh, to get back to King James a little bit, um, uh, this is one of those things that always confused me too, uh, is we read the King James Bible. It's... Uh, per, uh, said by many people to be the, the best translation and whatnot. All the other translations are complete bogus. It's the King James one. That's the best one. But then you have like King James who, who wrote a book about demons uh, and, and stuff. And he was really fascinated with uh, demons, seemingly maybe because he was being infiltrated by them and wanted to, to know his enemy well or something. But um. So why do you think in the in the King James version that they have the New Testament if he knew uh, uh presumably that the New Testament was was bad or or some people believe even like Francis Bacon wrote the book and uh you know he had other people write it not necessarily him so what what's the allure of the King James version Sorry, sorry, I, I missed I missed a bit of this. I'm trying to okay. trying to hear it. Um, sorry, and so I, I caught a bit about um, um, the, the translation of the the, the old, you know Old, old Testament, uh, yeah. whether the King James was was uh, a good translation. Um, yeah. There isn't such thing as a good translation. Okay. No such thing, because the language that it was written in originally. Right, Paleo Hebrew is a completely different language than these languages we're speaking now. Works in a completely different way. Yeah, um, I, I've done I've done a little demonstration. I've done it over and over again, and um, you probably haven't seen it. But shall I do a little demonstration of the difference between the two? Sure. Yeah. Do it. Okay. So I'm going to describe a film to you in English, okay. and you have to tell me what the film is. Okay. okay? So. A man on the autistic spectrum recounts his life to strangers. What's the film? Oh, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I want to see see what comes to you. A man on the autistic spectrum Rain man? recounts his life to strangers. Rain Man, okay. So I'm not going to tell you if you're right or not, but what happened there is in the left-hand side of your brain, Right? You heard the words I was sounding, was saying, and you fetched the, the meanings of those words, okay? And uh, then you compared that list of uh, meanings to a list mm -hmm. of films you'd seen, and you guessed at yeah. Rain Man, okay? <laughs> right? 
Right, so um, I'm not going to tell you, I'm not going to say if you're right or not, and I hope you've seen these films, but um, okay. I'm going to tell you the same film in Paleo-Hebrew, right? So Paleo-Hebrew is a language of little pictograms, yeah? Little pictures of things that mean something to, to the Hebrew, okay? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to use emojis, right? So I'm going to give you a list of emojis. All right. Right, so man running, a few trees, a park bench, a box of chocolates, a shrimp, and a boat. What's the film? Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump. Right, so in that instance... Right, the left hand side of your brain couldn't get involved because it can't analyze pictures, they're just mm -hmm. pictures, yeah. So, so you were just listening to those, uh, the, my descriptions and imaging the pictures, and all of a sudden you knew what the film was right? mm -hmm. <laughs> because that set of pictures describes the whole film, yeah. yeah. It, it gives you the encapsulates the whole film. Right? You didn't have to think about it. Literally, it just came from your intuition. You knew what the film was. Yeah, mm -hmm. That's the difference between Paleo-Hebrew. It's a language that you looked at it and you knew what it meant. You didn't have to guess at it. Yeah, English is a language you have to guess at. Right? When, when somebody, if, if you can do this as an experiment, describe something to somebody that's kind of slightly technical, right? Sit there and describe something to them and then say at the end, could you repeat back what I told you? <laughs> they will go, they'll flush and go, oh, oh, and you'll realise how little they, they got from you because they were constantly guessing at what you meant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's English. Paleo-Hebrew, as I said, is, is very, very specific and it means what it says, okay? Every, every word or every letter has eight different meanings. Okay. Um, every word is the story that those letters tell you <laughs> with all those meanings. And just like the Forrest Gump um, example, you don't just choose one of the words, one of the meanings. Yeah. Right. You, you have to take all of them together. Mm -hmm. Right. So if I was translating the word Forrest Gump, from the from the Old Testament, and the, the translators had that set of pictures, you know, man running, few trees, park bench, box of chocolates, shrimp, and a boat. Yeah. If that was a word, right? The translator would go, park bench. <laughs> Take that word, put it in the in the translation. Right? Mm. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. yeah, you might get something from that from that um that translation. But the real story, the real meaning of that translate is it translation is kind of lost. Yeah, pictures worth. It's a, it's a, it's, a, it's not a good, not a good analogy. But you see what I'm saying that by the English way of choosing one word to mm -hmm. mean that all-embracing word, you lose a lot of the translation. Now you can get it back by um, looking at different translations. Because essentially, if you look at particular words in different translations, you essentially start recreating the original words by getting all the different meanings, right? So you get all the different meanings and then see what all those meanings together mean to you. Yeah, yeah. So the, the point is that the Most High is very clever. The Most High um, made it so that you couldn't hide 
the true word of the Most High. Even if you tra- try and translate it away, right, there's still a path back to the original translation or the original words. Yeah. Fascinating. That was great. Um, we're winding down here now um, towards the end. Um, you had mentioned earlier that you were uh, atheist for 40 years. Um, have you have you changed your mind about that now uh, since you uh, got into the Bible or whatnot? Or Absolutely. Yeah. I, I totally, I know the Most High exists. Um, I've, I've literally changed my life because of it. You know, I mm-hmm. keep the Sabbath now. Um, I, I, I keep all the law, statutes, and commandments of the Most High to the best of my ability. Yeah. Um, so, so yes, my life has absolutely changed because, um, because okay, uh, one of the other books that was taken out of the, of the Old Testament um, is called Second Esdras. Mm-hmm. Okay, Second Esdras is about the most amazing book out of the whole the whole work. Okay, um, but you have to you have to really hard, try hard to find it because um, they've e- even though the Second Esdras was taken out of the Old Testament, it's in a place called the Apocrypha, which means hidden. Yeah, even though you can find it, most versions have been tampered with. So chapter seven has actually has 140 verses but if you search for it you'll find versions with uh, 70 verses and you'll find verses with 105 verses where what they did was they t- took the later verses and they mixed them with the earlier verses so essentially the the chapter is gibberish mm. but if you get the version with uh, with a hundred the full 140 verses now that that chapter is absolutely amazing it tells you the whole point of life on this earth and what happens after you die. Um, and essentially the point of life is that we are being tested. We're all individually being tested, okay? And it's a very simple test, um, you know, of which path are you going to take? You've been given this life. You know what the rules are. They're written right here, right? Everyone has them. Right? You know what's what's right and what's wrong, okay? You've been born, off you go. How are you going to live your life? Right? And uh, woe betide you if you uh, you end up, you know, the, the game over sign comes up and um, you've got a low score because things aren't going to go well for you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so do you, do, you, uh, do you just take out uh, the whole New Testament uh from, from or or do you go by the Bible at all, or or uh, do you go by something different? Uh, no, I I go by the um, the Old Testament, which is essentially the Hebrew Scriptures. Uh, the only reason I haven't ripped out the New Testament is that uh, you know there might be another um, shortage of toilet paper, so you know, <laughs> I just want to be prepared. All right, uh, fair enough. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, uh, thank you, uh, Dave, for being here today. I appreciate it, man. Um, heart emoji, thumbs up emoji, rocket emoji. I, I, I take that as up yours. <laughs> oh no, that's a uh, that's love. That's love. I that's, don't know your. I don't know American. <laughs> that's thank you and and 
and rocket means we we took it up dude we we uh, uh we put okay this guy on this i'm joking one. i'm joking i'm joking don't worry <laughs> no it was fun um so thank you uh tell the people where they can find you at uh what you got going on uh youtube channels all that good stuff plug away okay um so i've got a website allegedly dave.com and uh, you can find my videos um, mostly on on YouTube under D Murphy twenty five, um, or allegedly Dave on um, on BitChute and Odyssey. Um, and uh, what I've got going on, I'm I'm in the Caribbean at the moment, but uh, as soon as I get back to England, I'm uh, I'm going on a, a truth tour. So I think I've got something like thirty five. Um, places that i'm going in two months mm. so it's going to be uh pretty uh pretty hectic um and i'm going to be talking mostly mostly about uh how to deal with mortgages because um I believe there's a, a mortgage arm yes yeah. there's a mortgage armageddon coming and uh I, I want to give people a fighting chance to keep their homes oh wow yeah fascinating you're uh uh Jack Mini Trades, sir. That's a good thing. That's not a uh, bad thing. <laughs> definitely not. Uh, definitely a master of none. <laughs> well, uh, awesome, man. Uh, well, thank you. I hope to talk to you again sometime. This was great. Uh, Fire Tribe, uh, thank you for listening. And if you're not down with that, wake up.